Am I good? Okay. Okay, well, it's really good to see everybody here this morning. And I expect full participation from <laughs> the back row over there. <laughs> and that one back there. Um, but, um, you know, at this time of the year, the Christmas season, you, you're taking a chance when, you, um, when your lesson includes uh, or focuses on the Christmas story or the Christmas account and um, the account found in Luke. But I felt like this was um, what the Lord wanted me to speak about or the passage he wanted me to speak from. And so knowing that we were going to be, that this season is a busy one, um, starting really in November because, you know, the Thanksgiving holidays and and things just kind of build from there, um, I knew it was going to be a busy time. So I began to prepare in uh, November, and um, but like I said, you know, when you when you plan to speak from the the Christmas account, um, you're taking a chance on things. So um, sure enough, when uh, December first Saturday came, we received an insight from one of the dear saints in the network, and. Um, his, his insight was centered around this, the verse that I had, um, that we we're going to pinpoint today. And, um, and it wasn't just the verse, but it was from the same perspective that I felt led to, to speak from today. And so um, at wor- first I was kind of like, uh-oh, and here it goes. And, but, but it was encouraging to, to see um, his word come, and um, and then on Sunday morning after First Saturday, um, Pastor preached from this passage. But thankfully, uh, his message that morning was uh, he brought us a wonderful <coughs> new revelation, and um, and uh, that was uh, regarding how the angels praise, and although. Um, my focus today is different from what Pastor preached. I want you to know that I took copious notes <laughs> just, in, just in case I needed another reference. So, um, because I, I do reference a lot today um, from previous teachings and previous writings uh, from this house because it is the perspective of the saints that... Um, uh, we want to look at this account from, and that's why I titled the lesson uh, A Saint's View of the Christmas Story. And um, <clears throat> so what we're going to look at this morning, um, it's not a new revelation, but it's, um, I believe it bears repeating because it serves as a, re- a reminder of the reason for the season as the saints know it. And, um, but before we get to our passage, um, this is just an aside, but one of the practice assistants in my office gave me a little Christmas devotion, uh, devotional called O Holy Night. And I, I just want to read something that the author wrote at the beginning of her booklet. And we all know this uh, carol very well. Um, we've sung it all our lives. 
but I, I Googled to see who the writer was because I didn't know. And, um, and this is what I found um, in this, um, this carol is Oh Holy Night, but, um, and Katie can correct me if I butcher this because she told me how to say it, but um, Placide Capot is the author of the French lyrics. Um, he was a wine merchant, and I put this on your seat sh sheet so you could have it. He was a wine merchant and a poet, and although he was never particularly religious, Capot was asked in 1843 to write a Christmas poem uh, to celebrate the, re the recent renovation of the church organ in his hometown. So he obliged, and soon after, Adolf, or Adolphe, I'm not sure how that's pronounced, Adam, in 1847, the carol's uh, music was originally set to a French poem, and here it goes again, Minuit. Uh, this is the difficult one. What Katie said. <laughs> <laughs> and it, um, it translates Midnight Christians, and it was released under the name Contique de Noel, and um, that's translated as Christmas Carol or Carol Noel. And almost a decade after O Holy Night was composed, the lyrics were translated into English, and Minister, <coughs> excuse me, John Sullivan Dwight translated the French or original into the lyrics that we sing today in 1855. But it was interesting uh, to note, according to the author of this little booklet, um, Placide Capot, um, who wrote the lyrics, turned away from faith in Christ, and Adolphe Adam, who wrote the music, was a Jewish opera composer, and then John Sullivan Dwight was a Unitarian <coughs> minister. Um, so they seem like such an unlikely trio behind a song that declares Christ is the Lord, his power and glory evermore proclaim. Nancy? Yes, ma'am. This blows me away because of all the Christmas music and all the Christmas carols that we've sung all our lives, to me this one has been the most holy mm -hmm. and the most anointed and every time we sing it and every time I hear it, I feel that anointing, I feel it, it just is so holy to know that this man, it just goes to show that God can use anyone Amen. Right. and anything and it's always been my absolute favorite. And, and as I was looking at the lyrics um, of it, I'm not going to go through all the lyrics, but just a few of them. But as I was looking at them, some of the, uh, the poem that he wrote, um, well, we'll see it. But it, it, you can see, uh, see it from a saint's perspective. Um, so it's no wonder it was your, it's always been your favorite. So. Pastor Larry wants to sing it for us. <laughs> well, I could call call them. I could call the worship team up and they take it all things. Um, so the author of this little Christian or Christmas devotional says, and I quote, "This carol starts out serenely. O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth." So it paints a picture of a calm and peaceful night. 
And then the author says, this is the quiet, hushed peace envisioned for that holy night that many of our beloved Christmas carols capture. And then continuing with her thoughts, the carol transitions to a harsher context. The world in sin and error pining. And she goes on to say, in that world, Christ's birth is more than a beautiful event on a quiet night. It is the only possible light of hope. It's the event that changes everything, for when he appeared, the soul felt its worth. So when Christ appears and we see him as he is, we also see for the first time our worth as well as a sense of who we were meant to be and who we could be in him. And, and that's, as a saint, that is a huge focus for us is because of him, you know, we are who we are as saints. And, um, we have that sense of who we were meant to be because we were called to be sons as he was God's only son. Um, but we are born into that um, if we are born again. And then continuing, <coughs> quoting the author, um, at his coming, the weary, weary world rejoices. A new and glorious morn dawns. The universe itself is forever changed. In verses two and three of the carol, were brought deeper into the gospel story of a king who lay thus in lowly manger, in all our trials born to be a friend. His humility calls for our own. Behold your king, before him lowly bend. So in other words, as a, from a saint's perspective, um, behold your king, worship him, and prosphineo. Um, so I thought that was pretty cool. That was Those were the, a couple of things that caught my attention when I was reading uh, the little booklet. And um, <clears throat> so there's a little trivia that you can share at your Christmas gatherings <laughs> this next week. Um, so now we'll move into what the Lord was had put on my heart. Um, because this next week leads to Christmas, I wanted us to read from the account in Luke. And I want to begin with verse uh, 1 and go through all the way through <laughs> verse 20. So we can all hear the Christmas story. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And, there were so and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good will toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph, and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen, seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, as it was told unto Moses. Who? <coughs> told unto them. <laughs> I don't know where Moses came from. <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad everybody's awake. It was a test. It was a test. Thank you, Stacy. for you passed the test. That. We got that. Yeah. So we see first in verse 9 that the glory of the lone, <laughs> glory of the Lord shone round about the shepherds and um, the glory had come to empower the establishment of the apostolic work. And it doesn't say that the shepherds were commissioned apostolically, but, when they, but what they did um, was apostolic. They received a message from the angels, and, um, or from the angel of the Lord, and went forth with the message, and, um, making, and they made it known abroad. And that's what the apostolic does. We take the message and we make it known abroad. And um, so that was uh, the first thing that I related um, as a saint's view from the Christmas story. But then again in verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And on your handout, I gave you um, portions of the definition of glory from line upon line. And we all know this definition, but for the sake of our discussion, I just wanted it to be in front of you. So I put it on your sheet. Um, so glory. Um, the glory of God is employed to empower the establishment of an apostolic work and to surround and defend the person partnering with God in it. The glory of Elohim, Elohim is active during the impartation of the plan and the glory of Yahweh is functional throughout the implementation of it. So here in this account in Luke, God's glory came to establish his plans, uh, his plan through the birth of his only son, Jesus. And at the birth of Jesus, Elohim's plan was set in motion, and then Yahweh carried out the implement, implementation of the plan, setting the stage for us to minister and to function as sons. And then continuing with the definition, and 
Anybody feel free? There's plenty of people in here to add to. So, um. Start with Tricia. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so continuing with the definition of glory, the glory is the fiery passion of God and it is reserved for partnership with divinely chosen individuals willing to embrace the timely distribution of his eternal purpose and this unleashes the, fun, the functional power of God. So Mary and Joseph were divinely chosen for partnership with the fiery passion of God and they, they willingly embraced the timely delivery of, of God's eternal purpose. And then um, I kind of sort of apologize for all the quotes I'm going to bring today, but... Um, sorry, not sorry. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> um, but they, they've already been best said, and I, I couldn't improve on them, so I wanted to quote so that we all had the full picture <coughs> of, of everything. But I'm quoting from Pastor's book, The Conversation. God is searching for sons who will partner with him according to his eternal will and plan. This is the essential meaning of the glory of God. <clears throat> and we see this here in this uh, account in Luke of the Christmas story, how that um, Mary and Joseph were chosen to partner with the Lord and uh, according to his eternal plan, they were the first chosen to partner uh, well, actually, Adam and Eve were, but this, they failed, and so God had to make way for us. Um, <clears throat> for the angels, the glory of God was being demonstrated in its highest capacity by the sacrifice of the firstborn of many brothers, the Lord Jesus Christ. There could be no finer example of what it means to fulfill the will of the Heavenly Father. He would make a way for human beings to know the Heavenly Father his necessary sacrifice would allow for them to participate in commune and service with the Almighty. So the birth of Jesus and then the death and resurrection um, and then his death and resurrection, the way was made possible for us to know and to partner uh, with God in his eternal plan in, in these days, in these end days. So just as, as Joseph and Mary were divinely chosen um, to initiate the Father's plan here on earth, the Lord has chosen us, his saints, to partner with him as sons in the, in the culmination of the plan here on earth. And of course, we know his plan will continue throughout eternity. Um, but in this time frame, in this time of the end, our partnership was with him in the plan for the earth, his, re his remaining plan for the earth. And that's an awesome privilege that we have. Um, just as Joseph and Mary were chosen in the beginning, we have been chosen for the end. And that's, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a weighty call, but um, I think we're all happy to, to be here and to to be a part of that plan to usher in um, the final days. And um, so then we have peace. 
And what truths have we discovered about peace? Well, again, I'm going to quote from Revelatory Prayer. Peace is the dedication of accomplishing a specific task, going forward accordingly, and returning in victory. Peace requires devotion toward an understood goal, and Jesus is the Prince of Peace, as he continuously is leading his people forward on behalf of the will of the Heavenly Father. Peace has a cost, and this is, the, this is pledged toward the understood goal. And in the Old Testament, shalom was an all-purpose greeting and declaration. And when someone went forth to accomplish a task, shalom was pronounced over him or her. This was the blessing over their appointed objective. The term meant to proclaim success for them so they might accomplish their task and return safely and, <clears throat> and with no encumbrances or losses. This peace is not idle inactivity, but active commitment to what he has called us to do. So when the heavenly hosts declared peace on earth, they were proclaiming success for us in our dedication to accomplish the task that's been set before us, and which is accomplishing his will here on earth that we might return in victory in these days of the end. And we, we understand that peace is not the absence of conflict, but it's the triumph over it. And then we have goodwill. Nancy? Yes. I think that it's so powerful to think that Shalom was their greeting. And in the day, you know, the day of Jesus. And that they would say Shalom, that was their greeting, like we would say hello. And I also, just because, I mean, that's like such a declaration mm -hmm. over their, who they are and their purpose and the mission that God has for them, probably not even really understanding what they're declaring, right? But too, I've noticed that they say shalom, shalom. I've noticed that too. Yeah, and so I guess that would be the double issuance of, uh, you know, go forth in, in the intimacy and in the power of God who commissioned you to do it. And come back. And come back, Enjoy. yeah. But it's, it, it, I think we should, I think we should indoctrinate that. <laughs> I just think it's such a powerful thing that the Lord initiated through his people. Yeah, and I recently heard why sometimes it's just shalom and sometimes it's shalom, shalom, but I don't remember what it, what it was that I heard. There's a reason behind that. Yeah, yeah there was a re there's a reason they do that. But I can't remember. So, but thank you for bringing that up. So, I ask you Jewish authority, but don't ask me. I just became Jewish. <laughs> no, you've been Jewish your whole life. Well, I just didn't know. Just FYI. <laughs> you just didn't know. And then in this verse, we have goodwill, and <clears throat> quoting from the conversation again. Goodwill toward men is the assertion that mankind can now enjoy and engage in the pursuit of the eternal and perfect will of God. 
This is truly the objective of the glory of God and the ground upon which men and women can work in tandem with the holy angels in serving the Most High. Combining these three exaltations, glory to God in the highest, peace and goodwill, from the angels at the birth of the Lord Jesus, we see the glory of God displayed in its fullness for the success and victory through mankind according to the eternal purpose and will of God. So in a timely distribution of his eternal purpose, Joseph and Mary both were willing to partner with God in his plan for the earth. And because they did, we have the privilege of partnering with him as, a, as redeemed sons. Do I have any further comment? Trish, do you have anything? <laughs> Your turn, Trish. <laughs> Thank you. See what you have started? Our deal was when you teach. <laughs> you haven't fulfilled that promise either. So. <laughs> She's always gone when you're teaching. Something wrong. Monica's got my back here. I do. Apparently. Leave Trisha alone. That's That's all we had. That's all you have. No comments. We've had a little laughter. It's you know when we celebrate Christmas, it's it's a time of new beginnings, certainly because. Of it's the beginning of our Savior uh, in, the, in the world. <laughs> he didn't have a beginning, did he? But um, there's, a, there, there, there's a connection between his birth and the happiness not only that Mary and Joseph felt, but the whole world feels now uh, that know what Christ came here for. And then we move on to Easter, and there's at first a sadness, and then a joy. Um, and, and it's like a statement on life itself. There's, you know, we're told that the moment we are born, we begin to die. So there's a beginning, and there's a happiness and a joy, but there's always that thing that's looming, you know. That we and we may not think about it, we may not ponder it very long, um, but we know it's coming, don't we? Mm -hmm. And there's a sadness, but then there's a joy, and it's a, it's a uh, the connection just seems to be that in the from the spiritual to the natural, you know, to the to the physical, uh, and, and it happens every year, and we're you know that we we see that cycle take place from joy to sadness to joy, uh, and it, it's a beautiful thing. It is. Thank you, Dennis. have any further comments? I'm going to say something just for you, Nancy. Thank you, Ned. You're welcome. <laughs> Wouldn't this world, obviously, be so different if people would say, we just want peace in wherever, 
named the region, mm -hmm. actually understood what was going on, what God was allowing to happen, what God was doing in that place, so that when they say that, they really meant it, that they're, they're devoting themselves to what God's doing in prayer, in intercession, to accomplish what he wants, he wants, what he needs to happen, you know, specifically thinking about the stuff that's going on in Israel and Gaza. Mm -hmm. We just want peace. We just want, do you understand what that means? And if we, I don't know how we get them there. Obviously we pray, but it's like, if you really mean that, understand what the word is and get in line and start praying, which is, we make a difference. Yeah. Huge difference. What a difference it would make for the world if people truly knew um, what true peace is, mm -hmm. like you were saying. Yeah. So. You know, in, a, in the natural, there's a saying that, you know, peace, peace is what happens when the good guys win. You know, when the bad guys win, there's no peace. But when the good guys win, there's peace because the firing stops and the war stops. And it's a conquest, but it's a conquest for good, not for evil, when the good guys win. But when Christ came into the world, that was a conquest. I mean, that was a victory. It was, uh, it, it was beyond all our understanding of nature. And, and then again, you know, not to belabor that, but from Easter we have the same thing. It's a conquest. And there's a peace. And he's got constantly showing us that conquest delivers peace. And the conquest for us is to, in his power, have victory over sin mm -hmm. and have peace. And, you know, in, in the years that Jesus um, began to minister, um, even his disciples didn't fully understand um, what he was going to have to go through and, uh, and what the result of that would be. They didn't have a full understanding. To, for them, that was turmoil. and um, they, I don't think they recognized that the peace that would come, that it, that, that would bring to the world um, after his death and resurrection, they, I don't think they fully understood the full gamut of... Certainly uh, the road to the cross didn't look like peace. Yeah. Yeah. 
for the Lord. Yeah, and it, it has to be many times repeated for them to remember right. but what they, they were they, proclaiming. Yeah, but the angels, they knew yeah. that. The Lord knew that. He was speaking that forth into the circumstances, into that birthday. He says, here it is. This is what's coming. This is what this is. Right. So it's, it's very illuminating. Yeah, good point. Um, because, you know, they declared it, and it eventually will be you know, we will triumph, and um, and it, what was spoken then will eventually come to its culmination, and and there will be peace, and um, there will be triumph. So. It sort of makes you wonder when will we finally understand that we can declare something and not fully understand how it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. You know, we have so many examples before us, and yet we still don't understand or act as though we understand that something declared doesn't have to be understood. Mm -hmm. It just has to have faith behind it. And, and when something's declared prophetically, we might not see an immediate, yeah. something immediate, um, <coughs> it might be years or decades or centuries away, but it was declared, it was prophesied, and it will be. Um, but it's just not always immediate. Thank you, for everybody, for your input. Um, I titled this next part, The Hope of Glory. And <clears throat> Through the progressive revelation of the mystery of God, uh, the riches of knowing Him are revealed. And Colossians 1.27 says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Christ in us um, is the hope of glory, the hope of partnering with God according to to his eternal plan and his eternal will. And this is what we were created for. This is who we were, crea were created to be. And then the next section I entitled Promise, Sila, Fulfillment. Uh, Jesus came. He was the promise. He was committed to and implemented the Father's will here on earth. And I saw that as the Sila. And then his death and resurrection were the fulfillment of what he came to accomplish, which was a way for our redemption. While Jesus walked on the earth, he demonstrated the sonship um, and fulfilled the will of the Heavenly Father. And he was our example of sonship, and he made a way for us to walk in sonship just, just as he did, and that is to partner with the Father in his eternal plan. And um, so now we have the great privilege of partnering with the Father in these end days to usher in Jesus' return. And that's just an exciting prospect to me. Um, to, be cho to be chosen as a people, to be saints and become sons, um, that's, that's exciting to me, it, especially for these days. Um, and the culmination of time on earth. So, um, 
Rick and I were talking the other night about the, the state of the world and um, the way it is right now and the deception that's gone on for decades in our government and um, the leaders of our, not of our, just our nation, but of the world. And the last four years, um, the world scene has become such a distraction. And I, and I told Rick, I said, um, our focus has to be on who we are as saints. Mm -hmm. We get caught up in, I try not to listen to too much news because I just do. Um, I mean, I, I know what's going on, and I know enough of what's going on, and, and I see what's happening. Um, but it's a huge distraction if we focus on everything that's taking place right now. And so um, we have to focus. We must focus on who we are, who we were called to be at this time in, in the world, in this time in God's plan. And be and do what he's called us to be and do. Because we're in a crucial time frame right now. And um, he's called us to function as sons. And the time is short. And so we need to be about our father's business and, and function as he's uh, called us and as he's prepared us to do. I mean, he has prepared us over the years. And we, we know who we are, and we, it's imperative that we function in who we know we are. Um, and we don't want to miss this opportunity um, at this time to, to partner with the Father. So um, that's really all I have. But um, does anybody have any other comments? I just want to say that that concept of knowing who we are is really the trigger point for how we become sons mm -hmm. and how we continue to develop. Uh, you see so many people trying to develop themselves and they don't know who they are. Mm -hmm. And so whatever they become, they still don't know who they are. And it's a continual search. And here we have been blessed with this amazing understanding that we belong to the Father as sons. And He is looking at us as sons and therefore has a plan for us to partner with Him. And so when you look at the world's confusion, when you look at the world's deception, we stand in this amazing point of uh, identity mm -hmm. that keeps us from being pulled into something that has nothing to do with us. Right. Uh, it's... it's uh, it's a freeing thing, and it's, it's uh, totally uh, liberating in our thinking to be able to identify with the Lord and say, I don't belong to any of that. And, and to really take that prophetic word that was given to Abraham that we're just, you know, passing through. This is not our home. Right. This is not where we are setting up our uh, pillars of, of uh, identity. Um, our foundation is the rock of heaven, and, and that's our identity. Mm -hmm. And so as you know, you look at the life of Jesus, he was not affected by the things going around him. 
uh, he was doing the will of the Father no matter what people were saying, no matter what people were expecting, and he was not pulled into anything that would say, this is the time for you to identify yourself. This is the time to, to really uh, make a name. And, and uh, you know, his family was the biggest proponent of that. He said, this is, you ought to go up to Jerusalem and do something big now. And he said, I'm going up there. One, one time. Not in their time. Not in their time. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Pastor Larry. Um, because our, our identity is in Christ. It's not in what the world tries to tell us who we are or how we should be. Um, our identity is in Christ, and that's who we, who we follow and who we pattern our lives after. And um, it's just you know, important to just keep that in the forefront of our minds about who we are and, um, and not let um, any circumstance or any, anything try to put on us who they think we are or should be. So um, we have to know who we are and we have to stand in that and no matter, you know, the friends you lose, the family that becomes distant, it doesn't matter. So, um, I think we, it's interesting that it's, we actually are called to fulfill the declaration that Debbie pointed out. Mm -hmm. We're the fulfillment of that shalom, mm -hmm. that peace on earth. But it looks anything like that. I mean, we're talking about the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. From the, the realization of that. And I, I think that's really an interesting concept, you know, to see the time that we were in, the declaration that was made over this time period, and what we're called to do to, full, you know, to partner with God to see that fulfillment. And that's so. what's so exciting to me. I mean, you know, he chose us to partner to see the fulfillment of that, um, to see that peace. And I think the crazy, the crazy stuff that was going on right before Jesus was crucified, mm -hmm. and for the disciples, I mean, it was, you know, we can we can criticize their actions and their unbelief and all the things they didn't understand, but we have no idea what the atmosphere was like that they were contending. And I think we really need to, you know, keep that in mind as we go forward that there's going to be a lot that, that comes against our mindset, our perceptions, our ability to discern. We have to be above that fray or in order, like you said, our identity, and Pastor Ray pinpointed this as well, about our identity being the very thing that keeps us from falling into the traps that we see. But listen, an atmosphere is an atmosphere, and they are real. They are real. And it is, I mean, I know just you know, over the years, our, I think our um, response to atmospheres has really changed. I know you guys going into nations and having to encounter you know, the atmosphere that you walk into, and I remember some of those first trips, it, you know, it was just like, we're like, oh my God, I fucking went through it. Um, you know, we had all these, you know, manifestations physically. I just don't think that's happening the same way anymore. You're able to discern, you know, how you're, but I mean, 
we've been trained so that we can walk in the atmospheres mm -hmm. and not be not succumb to them and think about the fear mongering that is going on i mean you know we're not subject to that right that's a miraculous thing it is thank oh. god for that protection yeah there's but it's a miraculous perception is what mm -hmm. i'm saying we we've been given such a divine training so that we are not subject to that that see that's miraculous i think too i think I think intercession is the key, and I think the way the Lord has trained us prophetically in intercession to be able to um, really accomplish a lot of the warfare mm -hmm. before we actually step into the nation. And in the beginning, I think we, it's not like we walked in cold or, or unaware. It's just over the course of the years, we've learned how to, he's taught us how to just really press through and glean before we actually are sent forth. Um, the experience is a great teacher. Right, yeah. You so. know, so you just, you also say, I, this isn't my first rodeo. <laughs> I, I mean, I'll never forget when when we did the, the, what was it called? Where we were sent to the Dominican Republic. Oh, the activation? I remember yes. talking about that. I, I've never felt so vulnerable and so, uh, I don't want to say unprepared because I know the Lord prepared us, but just landing and getting off that plane, maybe Les can attest to this, just walking, it's, it's almost like we had, to, we had to break through an atmosphere at the airport that hit me like, oh my gosh. And, and the whole trip was like that. And so you're right, I mean, experience is our best teacher. Mm -hmm. And I know we accomplish what we needed to accomplish, but if we don't learn from those things and then apply going forward, yeah, and that's why I love just the way the Lord has just so integrated prophetic intercession, the fi you know the fivefold, all of the ways He's taught us how to to glean spiritually and to know, and not that we know it all. No, I mean I remember going into Germany. Remember that first? Oh my gosh! I, I <laughs> that first morning I thought, are we going to survive? I, and I knew we were, but it's all of that everything that He has he has walked us through has been for where we are today mm -hmm. to teach us and to train us and we'll continue to learn and grow and experience but I'm so thankful it's like we don't despise one thing that we had to overcome because right. it's all for just the authority that he's given us to walk through in mm -hmm. situations like that and talking about atmospheres <clears throat> I was having a conversation with someone few weeks ago and just suddenly the atmosphere changed and all of a sudden it was like darts being thrown and I thought what is up with this and um, I had to go before the Lord several days and intercede because it was it was tough rough <laughs> and uh, but I thought oh my gosh where's this coming from I mean, I know it was coming from the enemy, but the person that was being used was just like, I can't believe. And, um, but thankfully the Lord got me through that and helped me overcome that atmosphere because I felt it for several days, but he, he got me through that. But, and, and that's why another reason we have to know who we are. We have to know that we know that we know who we are 
and so that nothing that anybody says can, you know, say different. You think about Peter. I mean, Peter standing there warming his hands at that fire. You know, Jesus saying, you're going to die in three times. Peter. And you think that wasn't an atmosphere? Mm. I mean, I almost like felt that atmosphere. When I think about that whole story and about how, what that was his third denial, right? When the girl came and said, and they're warming their hands at the fire. I mean, how could that be? But we certainly can't separate ourselves. Well, yeah, we can, but I mean, you just have to know that we, we whoa, yeah, it's so real. When you're, when, yeah, when persecution comes and they want to chop your head off, <laughs> <laughs> not to be, yeah, not to be real, it, yeah. When you deny him. <clears throat> so know who you are and stand in who you are. And don't let anybody tell you any different. But, but um, <clears throat> well, thank you, everybody, for your comments. And you have five more minutes to talk. Oh, I got five more minutes. So. <laughs> any more comments? <laughs> you know, I think, <clears throat> I think that what you brought about the angelic message here is really important um, in a lot of ways that we've spoken of, but um, I think that the interaction with the angelic and the partnership with the angelic, which God's been speaking about incessantly over the past month, is going to ratchet up. And the, uh, something that I saw this week that kind of I don't know why I never saw it before, but I think the same thing could be said about the way the Spirit teaches us. Um, is that word that we talked about um, with the angels praising Agneo, um, and then the detail here that you that you speak about? Um, that's a, you won't find this in the lexicon, but if you break it down from a Demodocos perspective, you clearly see it. That word is the same as euphreno. It's it's aneo comes there. If you if you link it, you'll see it. But where I'm going with this is that we have to keep our spirit friend. We have to keep that active because that is the fuel and the breathing for understanding and for revelation. And um, what the angels spoke here when they praised was the angelic viewpoint of that. And that's why, as we as saints, Hagias, are partnering with the Father, that's how the angels say, holy, holy, holy. They're functioning on the, on the perspective of what has been ordained in heaven. We're functioning on the perspective of partnering with God and getting that continual revelation and stepping in faith, which they don't have. But for us, as we pray in the spirit and allow our spirit to be active in tongues and then we gain revelation and that governs our emotions and all the things that we've studied about friend, that then, then we arrive at the euphreno, which is, all right, we're functioning on behalf of God's perfect purpose. What the angels say here is anio, which is the, the divine perspective of what we're Gaining. So they have what we hunger for. But 
That's what God wants. He doesn't want just people to have it. He wants people to partner with him and to hunger for this revelation. So it all comes together. And, you know, I never, I never saw that this in Yale. It never dawned on me, hey, where does that fit until I started looking at it, breaking it down? And it's the same word. But no, and, and I'm just saying this, none of the lexicons link those two, but they do often the sides. But they never come to the understanding that, look, this is from this. We're living that. And I think the reason they didn't come up with it is because they weren't moving in a mnemonicos way the way God has offered us. So, so as we keep going in praying and in allowing our spirit to commune and to gain understanding, we're fulfilling this thing that the angels say, this is what all these are, you know, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Um, we're fulfilling this. So it's like they're stating this is the standard. And through Christ, if you'll really become sons, you will bit by bit commune with him and your spirit will come active and you will fulfill this thing. But it's, it's the same word. This word comes out of friend, but we have the privilege of allowing our spirit to be active, to understand, to, and it's funny that when you think about that, all the years, like the angels will say, say something to us, look at this verse, or skill and understanding. It's like God has allowed one of the chief ways that the angels serve the heirs of salvation is by helping us at the directive of the Father to gain understanding and to then partner with God. And there they're just there saying, I hope you guys get in line with this thing that we've been praising. Isn't that strange? Mm -hmm. But it's our privilege. I just think that's interesting. Amen. That is our privilege. Yeah. Praise God. I wouldn't want to be in any other walk but this one. Well, you know, and I think too that like when we, like was referenced, when we go into other lands, see when you're trapped in this, and I, I love, thank God we're Americans. Everybody wants to come here and the people that are here only want to find fault. I have difficulty <laughs> processing those two things. But when we're trapped in this American society, we, we miss out on what's going on in other parts of the world spiritually. We think we've got it all figured out, so we train our people, you do this, you don't do this, you do this, you don't do this. But Paul said, when I'm with the Romans, I become as the Romans do. And that doesn't mean, you know, when I'm in Rome, I snort down a few bottles of vino. <laughs> he was saying you have to have the mindset of recognizing that there's a big world out there and all these systemies that are everywhere are, um, are part of what you encounter. So when you go into this place in the direction of the Father, you, you process what that estemi is doing and the angelic that is there. And the angels that are with us align and we come away with a different perspective that's a divine perspective. Mm -hmm. And so you can't view things in the same way here anymore. Mm -hmm. You can't figure we've got all the gospel, we've got it all figured out. You go overseas and you're, you're encountering these different things. You're warring, you're, you're declaring into it and you're, you're investing. 
That changes you, as has been said. But anyway. I mean, because he came for the world, not just America. He came for the world. Is that word, Mark? That God so loved the world, what is that word? Love? Cosmos? Yeah, yeah. I remember when you taught on that um, many, many moons ago. You know, the beauty, the beauty of it is the way the Lord has trained us. I mean, we should be so thankful that he's taught us how to go into the spirit and to see and to glean and to, to really discern these things in these other nations and the places that he's sending us prophetically. He has given us so much in teaching us how to you know, do prophetic intercession and really that kind of partnership in the spirit and then glean and, and prepare not that we can know everything until we actually step foot there, but um, we should be so thankful. Mm -hmm. I, I think that that gift, that grace gift of discerning of spirits really comes into play here. Yeah. When we were growing up, you know, it was, which spirit is it? Human, human spirit, spirit, demonic <laughs> spirit, or God spirit? <laughs> well, that's just, that, that's okay, but it's, it's a different thing in grace to be able to discern What's the spirit of the Lord doing here? Most people are dumb as nails with that. They just know if, it, if they get goosebumps that God's spirit's there. But what is God's spirit doing? What are the angels doing? How do you interact with that? And that grace gift, that's what we need. And that's really, and then what is the atmosphere that's coming against us? How do you respond? How do you react? How don't you react? That, that discerning of spirits and that grace gift is is a function that we have to have. Mm -hmm. And um, so, peace on earth. Goodwill to women. Yeah, and too, not to belabor this, but you, know, you talked about the friend, but to, to consider our flesh and our emotion and that he's taught us how to submit to the spirit and to walk in the spirit. Because if, if your emotion gets involved, I mean, you're wrecked. It clamps you up. It clamps you up. Fear paralyzes you, and we have to. We have. We have to come up higher. Yeah, and you're. The things we're going to face. You see in these movies. Not that any of you've ever. Maybe Ava did, but she's a machete woman. You see. I want you beside me in battle, Ava. I've always told you that. Um, but. What do, you, what do you try to get your enemy to do? Stop breathing. Yeah. Any of the battle, any of the wars, you, you, you want to choke till they stop breathing. You want to you want to hold them under the water till they stop breathing. You know, that's the objective. And that's the enemy's objective for you. Mm -hmm. He wants you to stop breathing in the spirit. And how do you stop breathing? You don't have time to pray. You're over here. You know, emotion enters in. Jealousy enters in. You feel like you have failed. Why are you doing this, God? So you stop praying, you stop breathing, and you're dead. And, and you know, that's what Paul said about, you know, if you come to the table of grace and you don't receive, you know, you, you've got many are weak and sickly and many sleep. Many are just comatose. They're just on life support. They're breathing, but mechanically. They're hanging around other Christians, but they're really not alive. You got to be moving in grace. 
And so the minute we stop allowing our spirit to breathe, we start dying we, uh, in, in, in the spirit realm. Now, we're supposed to die daily. I'm not talking about that kind of time. But in life, we know somebody stops breathing, they're gone. In the spirit realm, the enemy wants you to stop breathing because that cuts off your relationship with the Father, your function, your identity. It removes you from the battlefield. It keeps you away from understanding. You stop breathing, you stop understanding. Then you say, wait a second, that's not scriptural. Well, you wouldn't know scripture, but hit in the noggin if you're not breathing. That's true. You can quote the word all day, but if you don't know the God of the word and what he's doing right now, you're going you're gonna to despise the things of the spirit. So keep breathing. Stay alive. And um, if you resuscitate, good. Get back in the battle. But that's our, that's our hope. That's good work. Well, anyway. Nancy, what have you done? <laughs> hey, I think you ought to speak every week. Look at the crowd you generate. <laughs> we won't have Sunday school next week, but y'all can come back the week after. No. Or no, no, no. Two, two weeks, weeks after. after. Well, you can come back. You can come back. <laughs> well, thank you, everybody, for your insights and input. Very appreciated. So, <clears throat> I don't know if Dennis wants to come pray or if you want me to pray. So, okay. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that um, you have called us and called us together as saints and called us to be sons. And we walk in that as, Lord, it, as it is an honor for us and a privilege to um, walk alongside of you and, and with you in partnership. We ask that you would just help us to continually um, breathe after you and um, so that we know our identity and, and we have that grace to overcome. And we just ask, Father, that you would be with us throughout the day and in the, in the service to come. Uh, bless the worship team and bless Pastor as he brings the message. And we just give you thanks and praise in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Nancy. Mm -hmm.